are continuing in our, in our series today, uh, Growing Your Faith. And to uh, kick it off, I would like to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can probably find a blue Bible somewhere close to you. And it'll be on page 684. And we're going to talk about a word that nobody really likes to talk about. But it's that word discipline. Those, those things that, that we uh, engage in because we desire for something to happen. Uh, discipline is not something that we like to talk about. Because a discipline is basically... When you do what you don't want to do just because you're supposed to do it, right? Things like eating healthy or eating less and and exercising more or saving more and spending less or reading more and watching less TV. Those are the types of things that we know we we should do. We need to be disciplined to do that. But here's the thing. Regardless of how disciplined you truly are, you can always be more disciplined, right? You you can always try to do it just a little bit better because, truth be told, there are always people out there that you can find that are more disciplined than you are. And on one hand, you admire them. On the other hand, it's really annoying, isn't it? Just really get kind of perturbed by them because you look out your window and there she goes again, running every morning like she does so she can stay in shape. You go to the office and you're getting ready to go out and get your cheeseburger and fries and there's your office worker who brings in her carrots and the crackers and hummus and they actually act like they enjoy eating that stuff, right? It's just one of those things. Here's the interesting thing about disciplines and you probably already know this, but oftentimes what starts out as a discipline, or what begins as a discipline, it becomes a pleasant habit, it, it becomes a hobby, it'll even turn into a joy, and at the extreme level, it will become an obsession, something you just absolutely have to do. Let me ask you this, and you don't have to raise your hand, but you can if you want to. How many of you would, would say that you are disciplined when it comes to the area of exercising, all right? And some of you are like, well, I want to be, does that count? If I Anyway, um, how many of you would say that running or cycling is what you enjoy doing? Even if you're not disciplined at it, you, en- you enjoy doing it. Well, I'm going to pick on the cyclists for just a minute because I like to run. Um, the reason cyclists, you can pick on them, is because they wear these outfits, right? And do you know why cyclists are always in a group? Because you would never go out anywhere dressed like that by yourself, would you? I mean... Show up at the grocery store. Anyway, um, I enjoy running. It's, it's one of the things that I like to do. And, and it started out as a discipline. It started out as something that I knew I needed to do. I should do it. It would be good for me to do. And now it's become one of those things that I really enjoy. And I know it sounds weird, but if you're a runner, you, you get that. It's something you enjoy. In fact, it's one of those things that I almost have to do. Sometimes my wife will look at me and go, do you need to go for a run? You know, because it's just, it's, it helps me. It's one of those things that helps me clear my head and it's almost like I cannot function without doing that. There are those things that start off as a discipline, but they become a good thing. They, they become an obsession. For some of you, maybe it's eating healthy. You've become health conscious, and, and, and you've decided that you are no longer going to eat sugar or wheat or meat or dairy or whatever it is. And what started out as a discipline became a lifestyle, and, and now you actually enjoy those things. I found it's true with our children. Um, our children took piano lessons, and and they, you know, took the lessons, and we made sure they were disciplined in their practice time. And our oldest son, Josh, he actually thanks us now that he was dis- that we made him be disciplined in taking those lessons because he so greatly enjoys playing piano today. Disciplines can become something that we enjoy. Here's the other thing that's interesting about disciplines. Disciplines almost always result in progress. Almost always they result in progress. And here's the thing is that 
even if you have a bad attitude when you're doing them, they can result in progress. In many areas of discipline, and you know this to be true, disciplines produce freedom as well. For instance, if you're disciplined with your finances now, it will allow you to have freedoms later on in life. I read somewhere that that someone said this, discipline is doing what you don't want to do now so you can do what you want to do later. It's that whole idea of delayed gratification, doing what maybe I don't enjoy now so I can do something I want to enjoy later. To be completely transparent, that's how I got through school. I really didn't enjoy school, and I know that's not a great thing to say, but I enjoyed playing sports, and to play sports, you had to go to school. It was a necessary evil, right? And so it was delayed gratification. You go through class, you get to play sports, you get to go to practice. I didn't necessarily enjoy getting up and going and milking the cow. However, I did want milk on my cereal. Therefore, that's what you do. It was delayed gratification, and you just it's something you have to do. Now, the reason we're going to talk about this is because this idea of discipline is one of the things that God uses to grow your faith. This area of private discipline. So far, we, in week one, we talked about how God wants to grow your faith, and that's what this whole series is about. about. Then we talked about how practical teaching, and we use the, the paintbrush and to reminder that we need to apply God's word. It's not just any good. If you leave it you know, in the word, you've got to apply it to your life. Last week, Greg talked about uh, providential relationships and, and, and how those fit in and how God uses those. And, and today, we're going to explore how God uses these private disciplines in our life. And here's why. Because whenever you talk to someone about their faith journey, about their life experience, oftentimes you'll hear them say something along the lines of, well, it was whenever I started to learn how to pray, or whenever I started reading my Bible, or whenever I learned how to be generous with my time, or my money, or my possessions. That's when things started to change. And, and what I want to challenge you to do this morning is to look at this through the lens of what these private disciplines can do in you, and for you, and through you. Too often we think that it's about these things that they, it does to us, but it's not that way. It's what it does in us, and for us, and through us, and for our faith. Now, obviously, it's, it's bigger than that. But this, this spiritual element, this, this faith-growing element of these things is oftentimes overlooked. And yet, Jesus talks about these things. And so we're going to talk about them as well. Here's one other thing I want to point out, and then we'll really jump in. If you find yourself resisting what I'm talking about this morning, you're starting to have that internal you know, conflict, you start to cross your arms and go, I'm not so sure about what you're saying. I want to remind you and encourage you to pay special attention to that this morning. Because it's in those things that, that God's really trying to work on you. Because our faith is like a muscle. You break it down, you stretch it out, you build it back up. And God wants to do the same thing in your faith. He wants to, to stretch you in those areas of your life so that you can get to the point of almost exhaustion and then God can use that to build your faith. And these private disciplines are part of that. It's part of what God does and part of what God uses. And so we're going to talk about uh, that this morning. And the interesting thing about what we're talking about this morning, some of these other things that we talk about on both sides of this message, you really have no control over. But this is one of those arenas in which you have the choice as to whether or not you engage with God or whether you don't. It's your choice. So it's up to you. We're going to begin in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Here's what the text says. Matthew is writing. He's recording the words of Jesus. And Jesus says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness. And what I want to suggest, as Andy Stanley suggested, was that these acts of righteousness are the same as these private disciplines we're going to talk about 
And hopefully that'll make sense as, as we go through that this morning. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Now, why is that? Well, because they're, they're private, all right? They're private disciplines. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Jesus says, I'm going to talk to you about some of these things that are private things. They're not public things. They are things that you may do in public. You may uh, do the things that we're going to talk about in public. But through private, consistent time, that's, that's what your Father is going to see. Remember who Jesus is talking to again. It's good to keep the audience in mind. He's talking to a group of Jewish people on the mountainside, and he's telling them that their heavenly Father is going to see them do these things. God's going to see them do these things, and he's going to reward them. Now, I don't know your church background, all of you, and I don't know where you stand in this, but if this idea of God rewarding you feels a little weird, that's okay. Just to kind of embrace that for a minute. If this idea of God rewarding you is not why you do something, that's okay. God may still choose to reward you anyway, right? See, this idea of of private disciplines, whenever we participate in them, is what Jesus calls these acts of righteousness. And and he gives us three in this chapter that that we're going to touch on this morning. The first one is this in verse 2. It says, so when you give to the needy, and Jesus is talking about giving financially here, and specifically He's talking about what was called almsgiving. And what would happen would be that that people, as they went to worship, they would bring extra money because beggars and people in need and poor people would line the area or the streets or the walkways to where the people would be walking into worship. And these people would give, the, the people going to worship would give to those in need. They would bring extra and give to those people on their way to the temple. Now, This may be a little difficult for us to understand, but this was above and beyond what the Jewish person would normally give to the temple, to the church, their tithe. Um, At this time, uh, they were giving, in in the first century, anywhere between 10 and 18% of their income off the top to the temple. That was what was required. That's what was expected. That's what they were supposed to do. That was their discipline. And so Jesus is talking about this extra He's talking about extra giving. And when you give this extra, here's what he says. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets, to be, and don't miss this phrase, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Now, if you look at what the context of that says is that the reward that they have received is what? What's the word in there? It's honor, right? They've received their honor from the other people there. And so they've already received that. People praise them for being generous. And Jesus associates here that the reward associated with being generous is honor. And they've already received theirs. Look at what he says in verse 3. But when you give to the needy, and you've heard this, you maybe have even said this before. Do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. How many of you have said that before or heard that before? little audience participate there, okay? Yeah, we, we've heard that. So that, Jesus tells us why that's true. So that, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. The public givers are recognized by the people, and they've received their reward. Those who give in secret, the Heavenly Father sees, and he will reward you. Now, Jesus doesn't, doesn't spell out for us what that reward is, but from the context we can, you know, draw the conclusion that part of that reward, at least part of it, is honor. 
And that these people were honored because of what they did. Jesus says that when your heavenly father sees what you do in secret, he will reward you. And I think that the reward is honor. And I may be reading more into the text that is there, but, but I think it's honor that you're going to receive whenever you privately give. So here's the question. If this truly is all about faith, and I think it is, what would happen if we really believed these words of Jesus? What if we really believed that Jesus sees us, that God sees us when we give privately, whenever we give generously, and God decides to reward us because of it? What if we really believed that God sees how much and where we give our finances, how it impacted your financial world, and how it brought him honor. And what if in all of that, God said, I want to, and I'm going to reward you. What would happen if we truly believed that? I would argue that one of the reasons that we're not more generous, generous in general, is because we have a hard time really believing that. And here's what I want you to hear. For those of you who are kind of turning, tuning me out, tune back in for just a second. This is not a money issue, Okay. This is a faith issue. The issue is your confidence and your faith and your trust in God. Because if you read what the New Testament says about money, money is always this belief-faith issue. It's really not about the money. Because the fact of the matter is, you're going to leave that all behind anyway, right? I have yet to find anyone who's able to take it with them. What if you really believe that when you take the, the money that you've earned and you give it to what God is doing through a church or a mission or an organization that's doing things in his name, what if you truly believed that God saw what you did and saw what you gave and he saw how you privately gave and, and he decided that he was going to reward you because of that? I would argue this, that if we truly believed that, there would be no sense of dread when you saw this coming down the aisle at you, Right? There would be no sense of, uh, you know, trepidation of, oh, I don't know if I have anything to, I don't know if I'm going to put it, is anybody going to watch and see if I, no, there would be none of that. Because it would be an opportunity to participate in the private discipline of giving. Because that's what we've been invited to do. It, it would be this idea of that we would be excited. I can't wait for that bag to get to me because I'm going to be able to give to God because as I privately give to God, it's another opportunity for God to reward me and for God to bless me. We don't really think about offering like that, do we? At least I've never seen anybody go, oh, oh, you missed me. Bring it back, right? Just kind of try to let it, let it go. And maybe, maybe the reason we don't feel that way is because we don't really believe this. And here's why this private thing of discipline is such a faith thing. All of us, we all share 100% faith and confidence in one solidary area of our life and we all experience this we all trust god a hundred percent for what happens to us right after we take our last breath don't we right after we breathe our last breath we're going to trust god why because we have no other choice it's out of our control right when you breathe your last you're just hoping that there's someone or something out there that's going to welcome you and say, we are so glad you are here. This is going to be amazing. This is going to be great. This has made it all worth it. And, and we just hope that's going to happen. We put our trust, we put our faith in it, right? And maybe you've put your faith and trust in trying to be a good person. 
Maybe you put your faith and trust in, in trying to uphold traditions or being religious or, or, or whatever that. Or, or maybe you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior who died on the cross for your sins and he's covered your sins. And, and that's where you're putting your trust and your faith and your hope. But all of us, 100% of us, are trusting in what we believe, whether we believe in God or we believe there's no God or we believe there's nothing. We're putting our trust and our faith and our confidence in that right after we take our last breath because we have no choice. But here's the thing, especially here in the United States of America, from your last breath back to now, what we're trusting in most is probably not God. It's probably our money. I mean, if we're just really honest with ourselves, it's our money. It's our ability to control the environment and pursue wealth and attain wealth and and all those types of things. And Jesus comes along and says, I want to teach you to trust me. And so it makes sense that God's going to kind of get in the midst of what we trust in the most. And he's going to mess with that. And he's going to say, hey, you know what? I want you to give some of that to me. We live as though money is life, like, like it's the air we breathe, but it's not. And, and Jesus says, I want you to learn to trust me. And the way you're going to learn to trust me is to give some of that away. And here's our response. I'd love to. But I can't. I can't because I I just don't have enough. And God says, I want you to trust me. And we say, yeah, but the church is doing fine without my money already, right? They really don't need it, right? God said, it's not about the church's need. It's about your heart. It's about you learning to be generous, and I want you to trust me. You see, money is a faith issue. And God wants you to give it to him, not because he needs it, but because he wants to teach you and do something inside of you so that you'll learn to trust him in a, in a great way. He wants to grow your faith. And it's one of those things that you have a choice on whether or not you participate with him or not. It's, it's up to you. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to be a percentage priority giver. And what I mean by that is you, you give a percentage, you save a percentage, and you live off the rest. That's what you do. And you do it in that order. You give, you save, and then you live. And what that will do is, is it will cause you to say, you know what? I'm putting my faith and my trust in God's kingdom more than my own. I'm putting my faith and trust in what God wants to do and not in what I can do. And it's putting our faith and our trust and our confidence in God instead of us. Because giving is more than just a need issue. And here's the thing. I understand that this is an emotional and a touchy subject and nobody really likes to hear about it. And yet, as I stop and think about it, why is that? Why is it that nobody likes to talk about money? And, and I, the reasons I come up with is because money is our security, isn't it? We put our faith and our trust and our confidence in money and what we have and those types of things. But, but why should we be so, so obsessed with getting pieces of paper with dead presidents' faces on it and Benjamin Franklin? You know, why do we want those? Well, because we feel like that's what gives us our security, it's what it represents. And Jesus says, I want to be the source of your trust. I want to be the source of your security. And I want you to trust me. I know you're trusting me for every breath or for the what happens after you take your last breath. But I want you to trust me every breath until then as well. The reality is that we need to give. And the scary thing is that even if we give uncheerfully, you know, as Craig said, God loves a cheerful giver, and that's true, but... Even if we start giving uncheerfully, it's going to do something. It's going to start that discipline. There's going to be benefit. And, 
And Jesus says your heavenly Father is going to see that, and he's going to reward you. Let's move on. Look at verse 5. He says, But when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. So now Jesus connects this idea of praying to this idea of rewards as well. Talked about giving and rewards, and now we have praying and rewards. Verse 6. When you pray, and I I love the way that's written, especially back in the Greek language, it's the idea that you will. It's not an if, it's a when. So you will pray. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Jesus is talking about taking time, which truly is your most valuable asset. And he says, I want you to give a piece of that to me. I want you to devote that to me. And what's our response whenever we hear someone ask for more of our time? But God, don't you know how busy I am? Don't you know everything I have to get done? And God goes, oh, you're right. I'm sorry. Everyone but you. Because you're so special. No, he doesn't say that. It's universal. God says, no, I, I, I want you to take your most precious asset, your time. And we act like it in our life that money is our most precious asset, but it's not. It truly is our time. And and God says, I want you to take your time and I want you to devote some of that to me. I want you to go into your room and I want you to pray. And listen to what it says. It says, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret. Again, it's secret. You go into your room and and you close the door and you pray. And, And I have to level with you. I don't know exactly how this works, but I do know that it says that God sees you. Now, does this mean God doesn't see you as you're flying down 95 and you're praying as well? You know, God let people get out of my way. Uh, You know, I think God still sees you, but there's something special. There's something significant that happens whenever you go into your room and, and you devote time that's spent just between you and God. And that's your only focus. He sees you and it says, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And while you're probably not praying to receive a reward, God may just choose to reward you anyway. And while you're probably not praying to manipulate God, there's something honoring whenever you take a portion of your busy day and you say, hey God, if I were to have an emergency today, if things were to go sideways in a hurry, I would pray to you and I would put my trust and my faith and dependence upon you. So while there's not an emergency... While things are okay, and while there's not a million things competing for my attention, I'm going to state my trust and my faith and my confidence and my dependence upon you. And we start our day like that. And whenever we do that, whenever we start putting our day and and start putting our time and spending time with the Lord, it'll become something that that is very rewarding to us. If, If you talk to people who have entered into this discipline of prayer and they're praying on, the, on a regular basis, they will probably tell you something along the lines of the reward that they receive is not that God automatically starts saying yes to all their prayers because that typically doesn't happen. Instead, what they will share is, is something along the lines, at least what's true for me, is, is that the reward of praying is this idea of having God's presence and feeling him and just having this security and this peace that That no matter what life's going to throw at me, it's going to be okay because I've been with God and and we're good. And and I know that that life's going to throw storms my way and that things aren't going to be perfect. But it's a sense of, of peace. That there's this reward of just knowing that God is with you. That's the reward, I think, that that is there whenever you spend time praying to God. 
It says, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You see, these disciplines provide for us an opportunity to proactively engage with our Heavenly Father so that we can put ourselves in a position to be rewarded by Him and grow our faith and so that God can do those things in our life. You see, there's something about it whenever we get up 5, 10, 15 minutes earlier in our day than we absolutely have to, and we we pray or we read our Bible. And and you may not pop out of bed and be all cheery-eyed and go, yes, I get to go pray and I get to read my Bible. And yet there's something that happens when you're disciplined there's progress that is made whenever you do that even if you have a bad attitude when you do it and you may begrudgingly write that check the first few times or many times but it's going to be beneficial for you even if you have a bad attitude you give god a portion of your time you give god a percentage of your money and it's an expression of trust it's an expression of putting your faith and your confidence in god and it's saying god i trust you with what happens And I think God will use that to grow your faith. Jesus goes on, if you look at verse 16 there in the text, and Jesus talks about fasting. He talks about, you know, giving up food. And whenever I talk to people about that, they're like, whoa, 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 wait. I'll pray. I'll even read my Bible. I may even give once in a while. But fasting, yeah, let's not even go there. So we're not going to go too far in that. But if you read, and I encourage you to read, what Jesus says about fasting, he says that if you do it the right way in private, that God's going to reward you. Because for whatever reason, God chooses to reward. He chooses to give to you. And and it's not just what we think of. It's not like he's going to back a dump truck full of money up to you. He's going to give you a sense of his presence. He's going to reward you in the way that that he sees fit. God says, I'm going to reward those people who take seriously these acts of righteousness, these private disciplines. And so here's my challenge to you. For the next 30 days, I want to challenge you to get up a little bit earlier and to actually apply these things, to go into your closet or to a a spare bedroom or to wherever and get down on your knees and pray, to simply spend time with God, take your most valuable asset, your time, and, and go spend it with God. Just try it. Begin with a prayer. And I've had people ask me, well, what do I pray about? Frankly, I don't think God cares. Just spend time with him. Talk to him. There's, there's things we'll, we'll talk about praying more in depth later on. But, but this is one of those things where you just have to start doing it. And you have to give to God your time. Give it to him first. I want to challenge you for the next 30 days to read your Bible every day. It may be one verse. You may have your version app on your Bible. And you may read that one verse of scripture every day. Start there. You may choose to read a chapter. You may choose to read a section. You may choose to read a whole book of the Bible. Start with one of the first, second, or third Johns. You'll feel good about yourself. But, you know, just read the Bible every day. Something that that I haven't done for a while, but I used to do all the time, is to read the proverb of the day. Today is the 28th of October, 28th. You would read Proverbs 28. Tomorrow's the 29th. Read Proverbs 29, 30, 31. November 1st, read Proverbs 1. You just read the proverb of the day. And it's a way to discipline yourself. Go to the Gospels. Go to John and read sections. Your Bible has it broken up into sections. Read a section. Read something. Get in God's Word and see what God wants to say to you. My challenge, to pray, to read His Word. And I want to challenge you to be a percentage giver. To say, God, I'm going to give to you my first few dollars. Try it for 30 days. Anytime any money, any dollar comes in to your hands, you're going to give part of it away. And you've heard me say this before, and I'm going to say it again. If you don't feel comfortable giving it here, don't. Don't give it here. Because it's not about the money. 
It's about what God wants to do in your heart. You find another organization, you find another church that's doing what you feel like they should be doing to promote God's kingdom and to influence people and to make disciples, and you give it away because that's what God needs you to do in order to, to engage with you. You put yourself in a position where you put your trust and your faith and your confidence in God and not in your stuff. You get a dollar, you give five cents away. You give a dime away. You give it away. You pick a percentage and you just give it away. Don't be a needs-only giver. Don't be just, you know, just whenever there's a catastrophe or just whenever you see a need. Don't just give then. Make it a priority in your life. Make it a demonstration of your faith. The challenge Give God your first few minutes and your first few dollars. That's, that's it. That's about as simple as I can say it. And here's, here's what I think will happen. There's going to be this tension that you're going to feel as you do this. You're going to have this tension feeling of, is this really going to do any good? Does this really even matter? You may say, uh, but God, I, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time to, to get up early and, and, and spend more time with you. And, and God may just say, would you like for me to take some of your time away then? And we're like, No, 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 uh, no, I want to keep that time. And we start thinking about it. We don't know how much time we have, do we? Does anyone know how much more time they have on this earth? Isn't that the point? If we're trusting God on the back end, shouldn't we trust him now? Shouldn't we start trusting him with our life every day by spending time with him? God wants us to be disciplined so that we can benefit from that relationship from him. On on the way in this morning, you had the opportunity to pick up one of these green bracelets. And uh, yeah, they're kind of cool and and whatever, but they serve a purpose. This is for the 30-day challenge. I would like for this to be a reminder of you that as you wear it, that that you're reminded, you know what, I want to give God my first few minutes. I want to give God my first few dollars. I want to engage with him. I want to become disciplined and and just to be reminded because we get distracted, don't we? And life gets in the way and and we need to be reminded. And, you know, we thought about tattooing it on you on your way out the door, but that would take too long. You thought about all this other stuff and, and, you know, we're going to give it a shot. But you have the choice as to whether or not you seize the opportunity to engage with God in the disciplines of life that he's called us to, to enter into that relationship with him. It's really your choice. God has offered it to us, but we have a choice to make. Jesus wants that for you. I've got to tell you, as your pastor, I want that for you. As a fellow believer in Christ, I want that for you. I want to encourage you with that. Take the challenge, give it a shot, and see what God is going to do. Because Jesus said it, and I'm glad Jesus said it, and I don't have to. Jesus said, the Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I don't know what that reward is exactly. I don't know that I completely understand it, but I know that he's going to reward you. And I think, at least in my experience, it's been that, that trust and that faith and that confidence that God is with me. That no matter what happens, he's there. His presence his confidence, his trust. And the only time it gets shaky is whenever I start looking at myself instead of looking at him. We can trust in him. We can put our faith and our confidence in him because he's the only one that can truly see us through. And that's your challenge. I challenge you to commit to doing it for 30 days. And if 30 days seems too too daunting for you, how about two weeks? How about three days? That may be more than you've done now. Give it a shot. See what God will do. Join him 
and exercising in these disciplines. And see how God will use that to grow your faith. Let's pray this morning. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your word that teaches us things that sometimes, God, they're hard to hear. And as we resist them and as we, we try to justify them in our own minds and we try to make up excuses, God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict us and that you would challenge us to be doing and to be about the things that you want us to, to do and to be about. God, help us to be the people you want us to be. Take advantage of these opportunities to, to give to you first and to invest in you first. And It's not about religion or, or about church. It's about a relationship with you and, God, what you're trying to do inside of our hearts. God, I thank you that, that we can be a part of the community of believers that we're just kind of walking through this together and trying to figure it out and encouraging one another and picking each other up as we fall and and God, that you never called any of us to be perfect, but you've simply called us to put our faith and our trust in you. We're so thankful for that, Father. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you're with us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. We want to just kind of respond to God this morning by just worshiping him. And we offer an invitation time. If you want to talk to someone, we invite you to do that. But more than anything... I hope that, that you'll start thinking about this challenge and start committing. And maybe today you're going to say, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to tell somebody else that I'm going to do this. and I'm going to ask them to hold me accountable. And you engage with God and you put yourself in the opportunity to experience him in a new way.